Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11, 10 and 11 again. Let's go back to it today. Thank you, Jesus. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11. When you get it, say amen. amen. All right, when you get there, you'll find these words. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you what? A future and a hope. The NIV on verse 11, can you give me verse 11 in NIV very quickly, please? Verse 11 in NIV. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So today we're talking, this is the third part of this message here, yielding to God's plan, yielding to God's plan. Father God, today we thank you for the opportunity we have to spend this time in your word. We thank you, Father, that God, your word is already alive, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that today, Father, as your word comes forth, that we may receive the word of God with meekness, knowing that it's able to save our souls. We receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, your word, which works effectively in those who believe. So speak your word from heaven, our ears, our eyes, and our hearts open to receive it. We receive it with thanksgiving today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. And amen. You may reclaim your seats. Praise the Lord. Yielding to God's plan. Hallelujah. Now, we, we started this on last Sunday, and then we picked it up on uh, Wednesday night, parts one and two. And so just, just a matter of review here very quickly, we started talking about how true God-given prosperity is connected to God's purpose and plans for our lives. Is that right? And we looked at Job 36, verse 11. Job 36, verse 11, which says, If you obey and serve him, you will what? And your years and pleasures. Hallelujah. It's funny, when I, when I have this typed out on my notes, you know, my, my spell check, my grammar check, tried to correct the word pleasures and make it pleasure. And I no put an S on it, and it was going highlighted again. Hey, that's supposed to be pleasure. And I said, shut up, Grammarly. The Bible says pleasures. Because God is not a God of just one pleasure. He's a God of pleasures. So our prosperity is connected to God's purpose and plans for our lives. Amen? And so I've been teaching about us yielding to God's plan, and the Bible is filled with accounts of people who yielded to God's plan and how their lives turned around how their lives turned out. Uh -huh. Amen? Amen? Abraham. Remember Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? Yes, Abraham wasn't thinking about leaving his, his family, his country, his father's house. Was he? But God had a different plan. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham went out not knowing. Remember Isaac? Isaac had no intention of sitting there in Gerar, the Philistines. His plan was to go down to Egypt. How do we know? Because over in Genesis 26, God tells Isaac, this is during a severe famine. It's a, a severe famine. God says to Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. That means that God knew Isaac's thoughts. 
he knew Isaac was planning on going on to Egypt, and God said to Isaac in Genesis 12, uh, 26 rather, don't go down to Egypt. Stay here, and I'm going to bless you right here. And what happened when Isaac yielded to God's plan? He was blessed. Am I right about it? Jacob had no plans of working 21 years in Laban's house. His plan was when he first saw Rebecca, I mean, I'm sorry, when he first saw Rachel, I mean, the Bible says he kissed her and just, oh, he started crying. That's a kiss, boy. He kissed her and he started crying, the Bible says. And, and then he said, I want to marry her. And her father said, well, you got to work seven years and then you can have her. And, and he's, okay. That wasn't his plan. He's supposed, just supposed to get his wife and go. But he ended up working seven years. And then what happened? He got tricked by a trickster who was trickier than he was, Laban, his father-in-law. And he ended up working another seven years because he gave, the father-in-law gave him Leah, the oldest daughter. And so now he's married to Leah, but he still wants Rachel. So now he's 14 years. He didn't plan on 14 years being there. He didn't plan on one year being there. But then after he gets his wife, Rachel, now he works seven more years, or really six more years, 20 years he's there. And then, he, then you know, he's, but it's in that 20th year that God gave him a plan on how to prosper. And the prosperity came in Laban's house. He didn't plan, y'all got, y'all missing this. He didn't plan on being there. Just like Isaac didn't plan on being in Gerar. Just like Abraham didn't plan on leaving his father's house. But because they went to or stayed where, where God planned them to be, they experienced God's prosperity because they found themselves in the middle of God's plan. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, what does that mean? That means that... that you and me, normally, 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 our plans uh, are not necessarily God's plans. How many of you have made plans for your life? But what we're learning here today is that we, even though we have our plans, we've got to start yielding to God's plans. Hallelujah. We have plans, we have thoughts, we have ideas. But remember Isaiah 58, 55 rather, verse 8 and 9? says, for my, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, says the Lord, so are your, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Right? So, so we have plans, but God has higher plans. We have ways, but God has higher ways. Hallelujah. When God does a miracle in your life, when God does something that's just powerful in your life, and the way he does it, you, you normally will say, man, I didn't even think about that. And God says, yeah, you're right, right, right. You didn't think about that. You're right, right. Because I have a higher way. I have higher thoughts. I have higher plans. Most of us, our plans are big in our eyes. <laughs> oh, y'all wake up. Our plans are big or impressive in our eyes. And we go find other people who, you know, are on the same thinking level as we are. And, and I go, wow, that's a good plan. Yeah, yeah. And they move other people around us. But our plans are like to God, like, oh, okay. 
have other plans. I have higher plans because I have other ways. I have higher ways. I have other thoughts. I have higher thoughts. And what he tells us back, back in, uh, in Isaiah 55, right around verse 6 or 7 or somewhere around there, he says, uh, forsake your thoughts and, 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 and turn from your ways. Yeah, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and return to the Lord. So we have to forsake our ways and our thoughts and come up to God's ways and his thoughts. Tell your neighbor, God has a better way. Tell them God has better thoughts and God has a better plan. And as soon as we yield to God's plan, hallelujah. All right, God only has good plans for his people. God only has good plans for his people. In Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11, um, he says this, verse 10, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are, are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word to you and cause you to return to this place. Now, I, I went through this uh, extensively on Sunday and last Wednesday, so I don't have time to go through it deeply. But I remember I taught you that if you read what, what happens here in Jeremiah, the people were there because God wanted them there. They were in Babylon, Babylonian captivity. And that it didn't seem like a good place to be, but it was for their deliverance. Because uh, the, the people, uh, they, they had sinned so much that God was, God was going to send destruction on Jerusalem. And he said, listen, uh, remember the 24th chapter, I believe it was, of Jeremiah. We went through that. I don't want to go through it. About the good figs and the bad figs, that vision. And, and so the good figs would be those who would obey God and allow themselves to be taken captive. The bad figs that were not edible are the ones who would stay behind and try to escape from the captivity uh, time, and they would be destroyed. Now, Michael 4.10, put Michael 4.10 on the screen, please. Michael 4.10, hallelujah, God says this, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. Verse, keep going. For now you shall go forth from the city. This is the prophetic word to them. This is what's going to happen. Y'all understand when you read Micah and Jeremiah, Isaiah and Ezekiel and all that, they're writing at the same time? No? Okay. We have an Old Testament Bible class you can take online. $200 for the whole year. Okay, they're all writing, they're all contemporaneous writers. Okay, all right. So, so <laughs> praise God. Thank you, Lord. So, Micah is prophesying what's going to happen. Okay? Go to the second part of that. For now, for now, you should go forth from the city. All right, there, thank you. There you should. get you at home. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So notice God tells them by, through the prophet Micah that you're going to go down here to Babylon out of the city, but there you shall be delivered. So that means that God was going to take them into a situation that was going to be tight and tough on them, but it was to save them. So there will be times God will take you out of what you're used to, out of what you're comfortable in, to a place that's not so comfortable. Put up, um, thank you, Holy Ghost. Put up Psalm number, uh, and I think I need to go King James. Put up Psalm number 4, uh, verse 1 and 2. 
Psalm number four, verse one or two. I, I believe this is right. Glory to God. Switch, switch to King James for me. Glory to God. Oh, it's verse one. That's all I need. Look at what it says here. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Some of y'all are still reading it, trying to catch it. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have enlarged me, or you have increased me, or you have expanded me, or you have blessed me when I was in distress. So just because the, the time may be a tight, um, if, you, if you read that in other translations, it'll say a straight or tight place. So just because you're in a tight place doesn't mean God's not working. Tell your neighbor, God's still working. Oh, my God. It may feel tight. It may feel rough. But that's the very place God has you because it's there that you're going to be delivered. It's there you're going to be redeemed. It's there you're going to be prospered. And it's there that when you come out, God's going to get all the glory. Because people are going to know you are down for the count and should not have come out on the other side. But God brought you out. God brought you through. God brought you over. He enlarged you while you're in distress. Somebody say, Lord, enlarge me. In the middle of distress. Are y'all seeing this here? So God, God will allow these situations again. Again, I told you about Joseph. Joseph. I went through that Wednesday night. How he, he, didn't, he didn't plan on being in the pit. He didn't plan on being part of a slave. He didn't plan on being in Pharaoh's prison. But God brought him through all that. Hallelujah. All right. So, <clears throat> I don't have time to read this, but I encourage you to go back in Jeremiah 29 and read from the beginning, from verse 1, especially verse 4 through 11, and you'll see how God told them. Remember he told them, he said, okay, you're going to be here, this through Jeremiah. You're going to be down here in Babylonian captivity. But he said, I want you to go ahead and build some houses. <laughs> you're in Babylonian captivity, but I want you to go ahead and plant some vineyards. I, want, I know you're down here in captivity, but I want you to go ahead and get married. Boy, this, this, you know, they tell you, right, this ain't a really good time to be getting married. God said in that captivity, he said, go and get married. And he said, go and have children. This ain't a good time to have children. No, he said, go ahead in that captivity and have children. And he said, have your children. He said, find wives for your sons and then give your daughters in marriage and then tell them to have more children. In other words, the point is, God said, even though you're in this captivity, I will prosper you in the middle of captivity. I don't want you to get in the middle of captivity or get in the middle of distress and be stuck. In other words, even though it feels like you're in the mud, just keep moving. I, it feels like I'm in the mud, I'm, but just keep moving. Just keep moving. It, it feels muddy. It feels hard, but... Keep moving. Don't sink in the mud. Start walking in the mud because in the mud you can still prosper. Because God knew the plan that when you come out of here, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem loaded with everything you need. Because Jerusalem's going to be destroyed while y'all are gone. So I need you to prosper in this other place while you're here so when I send you back, you have something. 
I wish y'all could see what I see. I'm going to send you back and make sure you have something. I'm not going to send you back empty-handed. I'm going to send you back with a workforce. I'm going to send you back with all the money you need because you, have, because you didn't stop. You didn't quit while things were rough. I just pause here. Do you know people got wealthy during COVID? You know when there's a recession, some people get wealthier. See, because what they do is they didn't take, they don't take the mentality of, well, things are rough right now. Let me just pause everything. They adjust. They in the business what they call it pivot. Somebody say pivot. I'm going to tell you that, but you need to pivot. Don't be stuck in the mud. Don't be stuck standing still. Wherever you are, God will prosper you. As long as you are where he wants you to be, as long as you are following his plan, he will prosper you wherever you are and whatever you're doing, as long as you're in his plan. Okay, I got I to gotta keep cranking here. All right. So... Ephesians 1.11, let's read this one last one here in review here. Ephesians 1.11. Ephesians 1.11, because this is what you have to know about how God works. In the New King James Version, it says, We've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the what? The counsel of his will. Now, I want to switch to the, to the message paraphrase on that, the message paraphrase, uh, verse 11 and 12. It's going to put those two together here. Look at what it says here. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for what? So God designed you for glorious living. That's why you're not allowed to be poor. I'm going to come over here because all I'm saying is, is this, is this the side today? Is, is, might just bet that. You're not designed to be poor. You're designed for glorious living. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose for you. That's why he doesn't give us permission to be poor. Now watch. Watch this. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. So all around us, with, thank you, Lord. When you see what's happening around you, when you see what's going on in the world news, on the world stage, you are not to get fretful or fearful. You're saying, wow, God is working these things out according to the counsel of this will. We don't know what pieces have to be moved. We don't know what pieces have to fall. We don't know what things need to be changed. We don't know what needs to be arranged. And God is all working this out for us according to the counsel of his will. And his will is to prosper us. His will is for us to live in a glorious lifestyle. And I don't just mean money. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your children. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your physical man. I'm talking about you spiritually being anointed, being, being, being a miracle worker yourself. Glorious living. Doesn't, there, doesn't your Bible say in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, that Jesus 
gave himself, he wanted to present the church to himself as a glorious church. A glorious church. He wants us to be glorious. So he's working all these things out. Got it? All right, now, let's, let's deal with us here. Okay, because we're talking about yielding to God's plan here. All right. Now, I want you to record this in your memory bank or write it down, whatever you need to do. God knows how to draw us into his plan. God knows how to draw us into his plan. Hallelujah. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, the media put on the screen for me, please. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God says this to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is, is a young perhaps even a young teenager at this time when God's calling him. He says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a what? So this meant that God is revealing his plan to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's a young man. Okay? A young, a young teenager, in fact. And yet God tells him, Jeremiah... Before you were born, I had a plan for you. I had a plan for you. Hallelujah. This is planned parenthood. Y'all better care about this is planned parenthood. That other stuff is demonic. What they call planned parenthood is the devil. This is planned parenthood. Before you were forming your mother's womb, I knew you. That's Planned Parenthood. Y'all, I'll, I'll preach another time, Pastor Ken. Before I formed you in the womb, this is Planned Parenthood, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So God planned on Jeremiah being here. Now, Jeremiah in the womb didn't know that. Jeremiah in nursery school pre-K and kindergarten didn't know that. Jeremiah, when he was running around and playing on the playground, play lot number six, he didn't know that. Y'all know about the play lots around here in St. Paul? He didn't know that. He didn't know that when he was, you know, thinking about whatever he was thinking about. He didn't know that God's plan. But God revealed his plan to him. God is drawing him into his plan. Y'all got that here. Philippians 2. Go to Philippians 2 and verse 13. Philippians 2, verse 13, because I'm showing you how God draws you in his plan. So notice he informs Jeremiah of the plan. Yes, sir. Okay? And then, you know, Jeremiah put up resistance. Y'all remember the story? You pick up from verse 5 and, and, and keep going. Jeremiah says things like, no, I can't do that, Lord. I'm, I'm just a youth. I'm just a young. I'm a teenager. All kind of reasons. All kind of excuses he was giving God as to, no, that couldn't be your plan. That couldn't be your plan. Hallelujah. Or I'm not ready for that plan. So here's, and, and we've all done it. I said we've all done it. We've all told God that that couldn't be your plan or why I'm not the right one for that plan or why I'm not ready for that plan. 
and then God had to have a, a debate, you know, back and forth with, with, with Jeremiah about it to finally get him to say, okay, yeah, I got it. But I want you to see what he does with us. Philippians 2, verse 13, look at what it says here. Uh, in fact, let's go back to verse 12. Let's start at verse 12 because that's, that, that's where the beginning of the sentence is in verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Have we always obeyed? No. No, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, we have. He says, as you have always obeyed. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's <laughs> Eventually. He says, uh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, now we see verse 13. For it is God, come on, help me out, who works in you, come on, and to do. So God, remember I'm talking about him drawing us into his plan, right? So he, he, he told Jeremiah, here's the plan. But then God had to work, in, work, work on him. Now, for you and me as believers, God works in us. You didn't catch that. Jeremiah wasn't a believer. He wasn't born again. Now, he was a man of God, don't get me wrong. But before the, before the cross, there was nobody born again. There was nobody spirit-filled. Nobody was walking by the spirit inwardly. That's us, New Testament believers. So now the spirit of God is on the inside of us. So he doesn't work on us. He works in us. So notice it says he works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So what is he doing? He's working in us to get us to be willing to do. Because he knows all of us, uh, I can't speak for all of us, many of us are bullheaded. I'm going to stay on this side. Many of us are bullheaded. Many of us have a tinge of arrogance or pride or haughtiness that we think we know what to do. We think we know what to say. We think we know how to fix this. We think we know how to turn things around. And so because we think that we, we put together our own plans, have our own purposes, our own thoughts, our own ways, our own inventions, our own ideas. So what does it do is on the inside, by the help of the Holy Ghost, break us down. Break us down. Hallelujah. My wife, I was recounting to her the other day, no, one day this week, about how uh, when we were coming out of debt and how we had this uh, uh, God, 2012, he worked in me about pride because he knew I had some in there. And so he worked with me. He, he told me at the beginning of 2012, he, he, he would not allow me to, to use the word proud. I couldn't, I couldn't be proud. I, I couldn't tell my kids I'm proud of you. And there's nothing wrong with that. You understand but for me, there was something he was working on. But to get out some pride because, because what his plan required me to do was to do something that was going to, um, on the outside, look like, you know, going backwards. What it was for us, I'm going to just tell you, uh, y'all knew it. We, we had a beautiful 
uh, truck, a big, large SUV that we just enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed, and we, we enjoyed it and, and driving it and paying for it and everything like that. And God wanted us out of debt. And he said, send it back. Send it back? We look good. People used to tell us we look presidential. That's a good, I remember a guy one time stopped us at the corner. I was at the corner of 34th and 20, 34th Street and 26th Avenue South. And a guy said, man, he, I mean, he rolled his window down. He said, man, what do you do? I'm a man of God, yeah. And this, there was a pride that was there. And God broke it all the way down. What, what was he doing? He was working in me, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I'm going to tell you a story. I hope this ain't streamed, uh, this section. I'm going to have to cut this section out. But um, I remember, you remember I told you a story years ago about um, someone who, uh, we, we were driving this van that we, somebody had given us a van. We were so blessed to have it, so blessed to have this van. And uh, because that's all we had. We had sent our vehicles back, and God gave us a van, and it wasn't a brand-new van. Let's just put it that way. But it, it was transportation. It had air conditioning at work. Air conditioning blow cold. And, uh, you know, it had some issues to it, but me and my family, we piled in that van. We're going everywhere. And that van, I'm, I'm keeping it clean. That's the van God gave us. And one day, this guy says, oh, he's, you know, oh, he laughs. Oh, look at you, Rev, driving, driving that van. I'm like, praise, praise the Lord. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. And clown, just straight clown. Man. I'm like, just clown. I'm like, all right, but hey, it's, it's, it's God's provision for now. You better learn how to celebrate your now. You better learn how to celebrate your now. That thing, I mean, we driving through our neighborhood. It's, we pull out, I mean, it's, it's, but it's our now. And we were just as thankful as if somebody had given us a Rolls Royce. Hallelujah. And, and, and it's so funny because recently I ran into this person again. And this time, they're driving the minivan. And looking at my car and say, one day, I'm going to have something like that. Now, you may not celebrate because that ain't your story, but for me, I didn't celebrate, but I was like, Lord, look what you did. Now, I'm not picking on the person because their variant is very nice. Don't get me wrong. Praise God. What am I talking about? God. I was talking about God working in us, working in us, working in us. And so God had to work in me on some things, okay? Let me keep going here. Now, so remember I told you God knows how to draw you into his plan. Say that. Say, God knows, God knows how to draw me, to draw me into, his plan. into his plan. Now, let's go to Acts 17. Acts 17. Hallelujah. Are y'all okay? Yes, sir. Okay, Acts 17. 
I'm sorry, Acts 7, Acts 7, verse 17. Acts chapter 7 and verse 17. You get there, say amen. amen. And I'm going to read through verse 23 because I want you to see something here. You got it? It says, but when the time of the promise drew near, the time of the promise, now if you read the previous verses, he's talking about the promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to bring his people out of Egypt. Now, when God made that promise to Abraham, Abraham, the people weren't in Egypt. This was way before the people even went to Egypt. Remember in Genesis 15, Abraham had that horrible dream, and God told him that 400 years your people are going to be enslaved in Egypt, but I'm going to bring them out with a strong hand. They were not going to come out empty-handed. That's the promise. Okay, verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Y'all remember Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. Verse 19. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. This is at this time infanticide. This, this is beyond abortion as we know it. This is infanticide. Okay? Which some states are trying to pass that here in America, that even up to after a child is born on the table, they can still uh, murder the child, essentially, if the, if the parents choose so. Okay, so verse 20, at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for how long? Three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. So he's being raised in Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's daughter. He's being raised as royalty. He's being raised as an Egyptian. He's got the best of everything. Okay? So what is, what is Moses planning? I'm going to grow up in this thing, and one day I'm going be, to become Pharaoh because he's being raised as Pharaoh's grandson. That's his plan. Okay? Verse 22, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Hallelujah. Verse 23, now, now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And then it says, seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him and was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. He supposed they would understand he was the one God delivered. Okay, I don't have time to read the rest of that. You read it in your own time. But understand the scenario here is that, is that he, when he visited them, he saw um, a, a Hebrew, uh, an Egyptian slave master uh, whipping or beating uh, one of the Hebrew slaves. And Moses rose up and defended that slave, and he killed the Egyptian, hid his body. Remember the story? He comes back, and one day he sees two Hebrews fighting against each other, and he gets involved, what are y'all doing? And they said, who made you the so-and-so? You're going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And then he took off running for 40 years. Go back and read in the book of Exodus. Okay? Now, glory to God. Glory to God. But notice verse 23. He's going along, his plans, his thoughts are, I'm going to get well-educated in the system, I'm going to learn everything I need to know, and one day I'm going to be the Pharaoh. 
But what happens in verse 23? It says when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart. I'm talking about, y'all wake up, man. I'm talking about God drawing you into his plan. That, notice this happened when the time of promise was to be fulfilled. In other words, there was a set time on God's calendar. There was a set time in history that God had already marked out that at this certain time, like I promised Abraham, I'm going to bring my people out. And so God is the one that caused Moses to be born. God is the one that caused Moses' life to be spared. God is the one that, that caused Moses to be raised up in Pharaoh's house. And so that he could have a personal knowledge and relationship with, with Pharaoh, that he wouldn't be afraid to speak to Pharaoh. He understood the workings of the palace. But God's plan was that at a certain time, God would drop a thought into his heart. God has a certain time, a certain, what, the, what we call a kairos moment, a certain season of your life when he's ready to shift you into your destiny. Everything prior to this, Moses is just going along, doing his own thing. He's learning the ways of the world. He's learning that system, but God got ready to shift him. And when it came time to shift him into his destiny, God dropped something into his heart. Y'all missing it. In other words, this was, this was a, an out-of-the-blue thought. This was an out-of-the-box uh, thought. You need to remember, the, 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 the Israelites were slaves the whole time Moses was alive. This didn't happen when he was 3 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 25. The Bible says, at the time of the promise, that this thought, this idea, this plan entered into his heart. What things have come into your heart that seem so out of the blue, so out of the ordinary, so out of the way, so um, so destiny designed that it shifts your thinking. That it makes you go check on something. Are y'all catching this here? I, I really need you to see that verse 23. At, at 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit. It came into his heart. It didn't say it came from his heart. It came into Uh, first of all, I need to make sure you understand that's how thoughts work, whether they're good or evil. Thoughts don't come from you. Thoughts come to you. That's right. How many of y'all understand that? Thoughts don't, they don't come from you. Thoughts come to you, good or evil. So when you think about something, you think about slapping somebody, that, you didn't think that up. That came to you. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's, that's why, that's why, just because you think it doesn't make it a sin. 
I was thinking this a couple days ago. Now, don't, don't, don't y'all fire me. Don't fire me. I was thinking this a couple days ago. I, I grew up in a, in a strong, strong Christian household. And we didn't, I mean, I'm, when I mean strong, I mean, my parents were sold out serving God. And they never cursed. Cussed, I'm sorry, cussed. They probably curse the devil. I'm talking about cussing. Y'all know what cussing is. Words they bleep out on TV. Well, they used to bleep out on TV. They never cussed. And so I wasn't raised to cuss. Just never, doesn't, doesn't fit. I don't, I don't even know how to formulate cuss words or cuss phrases like, like y'all used to do. Now, remember I said, don't fire me. Yet, cuss words come to my mind. Because it comes to me, not from me. It's not, that's not my thought. And Jesus said, take no thought saying. So although the thought comes, if I don't say it, I didn't take it. That's the sixth chapter of Matthew. Right? Okay, so y'all got that. So it entered into his heart. All right, I got to keep going here. It came into his heart. So what we see is that when he's drawing you into his plan, God deposits destiny in your heart. God deposits destiny in your heart. God deposits destiny in your heart. Dreams, visions, they point to destiny and purpose. Dreams and visions that God gives you. Ideas that come to you while you're riding to, to work. Visions you have. Day visions. He's depositing destiny on the inside of you. Are you hearing me today? Purpose. Okay? But you need this plan. In other words, just because he... He gives you the, the thought. The thought is not the whole plan. Okay. Um, give me. <laughs> Go to Ecclesiastes 3. Now listen to what I'm saying. Remember we just read it here in, in, in Acts 7, verse 23, that it came into his heart. Right? Right? What did Moses do when it came into his heart? He went and checked. Okay. That's what God wanted him to do. But he went in his own strength and tried to start the revolution. Y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. 
Because you remember, you keep reading in 20, 20, chapter 7, and it says he thought the people understood that God had sent him to deliver. Yes, Moses, but that wasn't the plan. Y'all, oh, who, who am I talking to? I put the thought in you. Moses, I was showing you something for the future. I'm pointing you to the end. I didn't mean for you to go on your strength and start fighting people. Deke, are you getting this here? I didn't mean for you to go and start rebelling. I didn't mean for you to go and start a little war. I'm, I'm showing you the future. I'm putting this thought in your heart because that's what I'm going to do through you, but I don't need you to go do it on your own. Moses, I didn't tell you to go slay anybody. Moses, it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. It was, God. Moses, it wasn't time yet. And what happens with, with zealous believers, zealous, overzealous believers, is we get the thought and start running on the thought, and God says, wait, 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 wait. There's an appointed time. Chris just called it out, so we might as well go to it, Habakkuk 2.3. I was going to give you that verse, Chris, but you already jumped ahead. So let's, let's read it. Habakkuk 2, verse 3. Habakkuk 2, verse 3. For the vision, Moses, the vision, Lawanda, it's for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So the vision that God put in Moses' heart, the vision that God puts into your heart, yes, it's coming, but it is for an appointed time. So don't you get ahead of God acting in your overzealous state. Man, I wish I could find six people who have some sort of destiny, some sort of purpose, some sort of vision from God that makes you wake up every morning. That's keeping you on this planet. Something bigger than your house and your car. Something from God that's supposed to shake up the whole world. Something God's put in you, some ministry, some deposit, some anointing, some mantle God has put in your life that he's going to use to shake up the world around you. Is anybody even open to God giving you a plan beyond you, a purpose beyond you? If, if, if the plan you have, the purpose you have is only about you, that'll get boring real quick. Because once you get the car, now the car turns old. There's got to be something about you more than just about you. And Moses had it going on. Living in Pharaoh's house. He's an heir to the, to the, to the throne in Egypt. He's well educated. He's mighty in words and deeds. He spoke such powerful uh, uh, orations and he would go and do great things throughout Egypt and wherever, wherever Pharaoh, I imagine Pharaoh sent him throughout the whole world. Moses got it going on and God puts a thought in his heart that was bigger than him. 
Lord, may you put something in our hearts that's bigger than us. God, may you give us bigger dreams and bigger visions than our own things, than our own businesses, than our own careers, than our own lives, than our own lives. God, give us something bigger. Bigger. A vision for an appointed time. Now, now, I told you Moses in his zeal blew it. Now, I want you to go back to Ecclesiastes 3.1. Ecclesiastes 3.1. Notice what it says. To everything there is, come on, a season, a time for every purpose. So even though God put the thought in Moses' heart, it still had a season and a time. So when God gives you the vision, the dream, the idea, the plan, you still have to wait on his time. Wait on the season for it. Oh, my God. Give me that same verse in the Living Bible, please. The same verse in the Living Bible. Notice it says, it says here, there is a right time for everything. Tell your neighbor there's a right time for everything. There's a right time for that vision. There's a right time for that dream. There's a right time for that idea. There's a right time for that manifestation. There's a right time for that purpose. There's a right time for that, for that plan in your life. And just because you have it doesn't mean you're supposed to do anything with it yet. Oh, Jesus. When Jesus Christ was 12 years old, and remember he was, he was found in the temple asking and answering questions. His parents finally found him, and they, they said, what are you doing? He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Jesus was 12 years old, and he's already trying to conduct his father's business. And they said, wait, 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 it's not time. And the Bible says that he went back home with them and became subject to them. Which meant Jesus Christ at 12 knew his purpose. He knew the plan. He knew the vision. But he still had to be subject to his parents because it was not time. So much so, his first miracle out the gate when he went to the wedding feast at Cana. And he, the woman, his mama said, they run, he said, son, they run out of wine. And he said, woman, what does it have to do with you? It's not my time. It's not my time. She had to let him know that it was. She said, no, son, it is time. She, he became subject. He became obedient. She said, no, son, it is time. He became so subject that he lost track of time. And she said, no, this is it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. She said, yeah, 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 it is, it is time. That's the second chapter of John. There is a right time. So that means even Jesus got zealous. At 12. Give me Ecclesiastes 3.11. Ecclesiastes 3.11. King James. New King James rather. There are people, people get excited because they in church and they sit under ministry like even this and they get a little baby oil. They preach one, teach one message, one, one flight school message. They get a little baby oil or they run a little flight group. They feel a little baby oil. All of a sudden they feel like now it's time for me to go plan a church and plan a world rock ministry. And I say, baby girl, baby boy, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on a second. It's not time. 
All you have is the vision. All you have is the dream. All you have is a thought in your heart. I'm not going to question the thought, but I am going to require you to wait until the time. Jesus learned. He became obedient. He became subject to his parents. And for the next, for the next 18 years, they trained him because they knew that's right. Because remember what the bowl, oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. Remember what the Bible says? Well, after he went through that, he, he told him, he said, yeah, I'm doing this. And the man said, no, it's not time. The Bible says, yet Mary pondered all these things in her heart. She pondered all those things in her heart. Though, she said, oh, oh he's, he's, it's entered into his heart what he's supposed to be doing. So the next 18 years, I got to prepare my boy. I got to prepare my boy. So you got to let someone help prepare you. You got to let someone prepare you. Before you jump out there like Moses trying to slay devils at one time for you to slay yet, and you end up on the run, end up in exile for 40 years. Moses didn't have to spend 40 years in exile. He could have been in the palace all comfortable for 40 years and wait on God's time to say, okay, now time. Is this all right, Elder Baker? Are you in Ecclesiastes 3.11? Notice what it says here. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So everything is beautiful when? But look what it says. Also, he has put, he has put eternity or your destiny in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Now, let's look at that same verse in the Amplified Classic real quick. Amplified Classic. Oh, Jesus. Are y'all getting anything out of this? I, I, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm, I, I'm concerned I might not finish this today. Good God Almighty. Okay, look at what it says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Watch this. He, oh, can y'all read this? He has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. Now watch how it defines this. A divinely implanted sense of purpose. So God has planted purpose in your heart. That's why even from a child, you didn't do everything you saw everybody do. You didn't go everywhere you saw everybody go because there's something in your heart. And even when you did still go where you saw people go, you felt uncomfortable because purpose was pulling you back. You knew you didn't belong there because purpose was pulling you back. You were hanging out with this crowd and hanging out with that crowd, but purpose has kept pulling you back. Because it's been implanted in your heart from God. There's something, there's something, there's something more to me. There's something God put me here for. There's something God has me to do. There's something that God's going to use me for. There's something. I don't even know what it is, but it keeps, it keeps pulling me back to this Some of you I have offended. 
And you thought you were going to leave this church, but you just... And it ain't got to be because you like me. It's because purpose. That's purpose. Purpose. There's a 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 purpose. I don't know what it is, but there's a purpose. And people who never look for and walk in their purpose will abuse their lives. The word abuse is a, is a new word for an old contractual word, abnormal use. So if you don't know your purpose, you will abnormally use your life. And you'll spend your time doing this when God designs you to do that. And you'll waste time doing this when God designs you to do that. You'll waste time over here when God designs you to be over there. And you'll waste time going there when God designs you to be over here because you didn't learn your And because God really loves you, because God really has mercy on you, he'll let you fall a couple of times with these. Go back to the beginning of that verse, please. The beginning of that verse. He has made everything beautiful in its, in its time. He has also planted eternity in men's hearts and, and minds, a divinely implanted sense of purpose, working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Nothing under the sun but God alone. That's, that's why you're not satisfied. You just, oh, Jesus. That's why you're just not, I can't get no set. That's right, because there's a, your satisfaction it comes through purpose. Your satisfaction comes through purpose. Your satisfaction comes from God in your purpose. And you can try and try and try, but you won't find it until you get into your purpose. And you can go from job to job to job and career to career to career and business to business to business and man to man to man and girl to girl to girl and church to church to church and city to city to city. But until you get into that place and that purpose God has for you, you won't be satisfied. Come on, shout hallelujah. Somebody shout, Lord, Lord show, me my purpose. show me my purpose. What are your plans for my life? What are your plans for my life? And you know it. You, you know you try, you try, you try. tried and why, why I'm so dissatisfied is because it's not purpose. Now listen, let me, let me say something to you. I, I ain't going to finish, so I might as well just, just, just minister just to you. you, you that, that, there, 
there's nothing wrong with working. I think everybody should work in something. Do keep your hands busy. I don't care if you retire, unretire, do something different because you got to keep it. Because God's going to bless work your hands. But but the reason, first of all, jobs aren't designed to to give you satisfaction. But the reason why so many folk are clearly dissatisfied with their job is because they chose the job based on how much it paid. And you almost hate when Monday comes around. Because I got to go back to that job. I got to go back to that job. What you doing? I got to go back to that job. And you long for weekends. Everybody is looking for the weekend. Looking for the, trying to get to the, going for the week. You long for vacation. I can't wait to the next vacation. Hallelujah. Our oldest daughter, Alexis, she's a teacher there in Georgia. And uh, I, I told her, she's, she's like, and this is something she said all her life she wanted to do is she wanted to be a teacher all her life. And now she gets to be a teacher. And she's like, oh, God. <laughs> so I taught her. I said, Alexis, okay, when the school year starts, I said, you just got to make it to Labor Day. <laughs> I said, don't, don't look at 180 days. I said, Alexis, let's make it to Labor Day. She said, okay, I'm going to make it to Labor Day. At the Labor Day, okay, you got to make, make it to, they have something called fall break. I said, you got to make it from Labor Day to fall break. They get a whole week out of school on fall break. I said, after fall break, okay, Lexus, here's the next leg. Got to make it to Thanksgiving. <laughs> after Thanksgiving, you got to make it to Christmas. After Christmas, you got to make it to MLK holiday. <laughs> MLK holiday, you got you to make it. You got to make it to spring break. After spring break, baby. Now, what that tells me is that she's in something that she wants to do, but may not be her purpose. Because she, thank you, Holy Ghost. So she has all the education, all the training, but God may have only needed that for you to use that for your purpose. So all the education and all the training you have, if you still hate going to work, maybe it's because, and I ain't telling nobody to quit tomorrow, but what I'm saying is maybe it's because God has given you all of that to be used because you may end up doing the same thing in a different direction. And all of a sudden, now, boy, you live for Monday. Oh, I can't, boy, I can't wait to get into it. Because purpose, you want to do. That's why Jesus started early. That's why he started early, because purpose, you want to do. You get up in the morning for purpose. God can satisfy that. Amen. 
True God-given prosperity is connected to God's purpose and plan for your life. True God-given prosperity is connected to God's purpose and plan for your life. God only has good plans for his people. God knows how to draw you into his plan. Hallelujah. Man, man, man. If y'all give me seven more minutes. Huh? Can I have seven more minutes? Can I, can I speed through this other thing? Because I, I, want, I want you to get this. Because Pastor Kim's preaching Wednesday. Prophet Smith is preaching next weekend. And I don't want to wait too long to get you this here. Okay, write this down if, if you're writing, if you're writing. If not, just remember, quoting memory bank. God has to get your attention. Moses fled into the wilderness, ended up in Jethro's house, Jethro of Midian. And he's now working in Jethro's house, backside of a desert. And in his mind, that purpose, that thought from 40 years prior is gone, over forgotten. Exodus 3, verse 1. Give me Exodus 3, verse 1. Media, help me because I don't have time to turn on my own Bible. Watch this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he, fed, he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now, although Moses is disconnected, God's purpose and plan is still in play. So Moses has, he shifted his whole lifestyle. Now his, his career, his career is tending sheep. But God says, well, that's nice, young man, because you're taking care of your family, but that's not your purpose. It's honorable, Moses, that you're doing that. But that's not your purpose. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn, verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. Now, I know y'all know the story, so this doesn't mean anything to you. But the Bible didn't say God spoke to him until he saw that he turned and looked. Because what was significant was that Moses was drawn by that. His curiosity is what his, God got his attention, and now once God got his attention, now God can speak to him. So what I'm saying to you is that God will, will do and has done in your life mysterious things, strange things, and hopefully you didn't blow them off as just coincidence, and hopefully you saw, wait a minute, I better turn to see that. Because if you just kept on going, then God couldn't speak. Did, did you catch that? 
Did, did you catch that? When you saw that strange sight, if you didn't turn to look, if you didn't turn to investigate, then God couldn't speak. So God will cause strange things to happen around you, and he needs you to turn and look. Amen. Amen. What? Okay. Once you do that, now it says God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Give me, give me verse uh, 7, 7. Keep going, verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, I know their sorrows. Verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good land, good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse 9, now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, come now therefore... Come now, therefore, come now, therefore. Now, everything Moses, everything God just recounted about the oppression and affliction, Moses saw it 40 years ago. Moses saw the same thing. Moses saw the same thing. He saw what was going on with his people. God says, I've seen it. He says, come now. Now, so that meant, Watch this. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So notice God says, my plan, you can almost hear the, in God's voice, my plan, Moses, if you had waited, was not for you to kill a man and then have to run 40 years. My plan was to send you right to the top. Y'all missed it. He said, come now, I'll send you to Pharaoh. Moses tried to start a revolution by killing a lower level, a low level guard. Y'all missed it. Moses tried to try to do Moses tried to bring deliverance by dealing with a low level guard, a low level slave master. I'm gonna come over here. Moses tried to start the deliverance by killing a low level guard. A low-level slave master. God's plan, Moses, if you had waited on me, I was going to take you all the way to the top because the problem ain't on the low level. The problem is at the top. Tell somebody, wait on God. Wait on God. He knows a plan. God can have you skip steps because if he, if, if Moses, oh God, if Moses had killed that slave, that one slave master, he would also have to kill his captain and he would have to kill his general and he would have had to go on up, up, the, up the ladder. And God said, wait a minute, man, my plan was to have you go right to the top. Because by killing the low level slave, Master, low-level guard, all you did was start more problems. That man had no power to let the children of Israel go free. I'm going to take you to the one who actually had the power. I'm going to deal with the, right, the guy right at the top. Oh, Jesus. Okay, okay. 
So God has to get your attention. Tell your neighbor, God has to get your attention. Remember, Paul's on the road to Damascus. God had to get his attention. Remember Peter in Luke 5, when he's out there fishing and he had washing his nets, and he hadn't caught anything, and Jesus teaches out of his boat and says, okay, launch your arms to the deep. Let down your nets for a draught. And when he caught that miraculous catch of fish, the Bible says Peter was astonished. Now, what you got to understand, if you understand the Gospels, how they're laid out, Peter had already encountered Jesus before. You look how the Gospels are laid out in, in chronological order of the events. Peter had already met him. That wasn't his first time meeting Jesus. But obviously the first time didn't get Peter's attention enough. But when he saw this miracle, this time he left all and followed Jesus. So God has to do something in your life to get your attention. Number two, God has to get your agreement. He has to get your agreement. Exodus 3, verse 11 and 12. Exodus 3, verse 11 and 12. Watch this. Watch this, Exodus 3, verse 11 and 12, because this, going, this, this next thing sounds like most of us. But Jonathan said to God, who am I? Sadie said. Edward said. Come on, you put your own name in there. Who, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh, that I, should, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, first of all, God said, I'm sending you, and I'm going to bring them out. But Moses says, who am I that I should go and who am I that I should bring them out? Moses, you need to listen harder, man. That wasn't the plan. I'm just sending you. So here's what God answers him. So he said, verse 12, I will, he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Give me Exodus chapter 4. Uh, I don't have time to read all that. Exodus 4. Uh, I was going to read too many verses. I'm out of time. Um, um, yeah, some, some of y'all bottoms, are so, your backside start hurting after a while. Exodus, Exodus 4. Um, I'm trying to show you where God get, just gets his agreement. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is it that in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast on the ground, cast on the ground, it became a serpent. He said, pick it up by the tail, picked it up, and turned back into a rod. Uh -huh. I know the story? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What is God doing? He's trying to get Moses' agreement. Yes, sir. He knows Moses now understands the plan, but I need you to, to agree with my plan. <laughs> Verse 13. No, verse, verse 10, verse 10, verse 10, verse 10. How many of y'all have ever made excuses? And found every reason that you can't, I'm, 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 oh my Jesus, I'm telling you, this is what God has been over the last several weeks delivering me from. I know I'm not alone, thank you. Everybody else looking like, acting like you're not alone. But I'm talking about me personally. Because I, he, he's caused me to understand how many excuses I've been making over the years for why I can't fulfill what he's told me I'm to fulfill. 
Some of mine are just like with Moses. Look at verse 10. He, then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, the Bible had already said that he was mighty in words and deeds. But how he saw himself, his words moved things. His words moved people. But when he assessed himself, help me somebody. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, or who, who makes the, mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind, have not, I the, have not I the Lord? Verse 12, now therefore go and I will, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against him because God's trying to get him, hey, just agree with my plan. You were willing to fight 40 years ago. When you were still young and vibrant, you were willing to fight 40 years ago. Now, now all of a sudden, you ain't ready to go do this? You were willing to fight, Now I just want you to talk. You were willing to fight, Now I just want you to talk. I just, I just want you to talk now. Somebody better grab that. When you were out in the world, you would have fought everybody. You, you would have, oh, you would, but now I just want you to talk. You see why he's angry? You was a fighter. You were a fighter. Now you can't just talk. So I don't have time to read it, but you know, if you read, read the rest of the story, you see where God said, okay, all right, tell you, here comes your brother Aaron. He says, I know he can speak well. Okay, I'm going to send him with you, and uh, you just tell him what to say, and he'll, he'll speak. What's God doing us for? He's trying to get Moses into agreement. Listen to me very carefully. God, God's plan, watch this. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Um, I, I got to read verse 14. Y'all have time? Verse 14. So the angel of the Lord was killing against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. Now, how, how did Aaron just so happen at the right time be coming to meet him? Because God put a thought in Aaron's heart, go see your brother. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. So while Moses is, is, is drowning in his inadequacy, God already has a plan. Because listen, listen, you may want to read this recorded in your memory bank. God's plan always accounts for inadequacies. God's plan always accounts for inadequacies. So wherever you feel like you, you are inadequate, God says, I already have something to back you up on that. I have someone coming. I, I'm going to add someone to your team who is strong where you may be weak. Oh, boy. You don't have to be good at everything to obey God. I'll say it again. I'm going to try to say it without stuttering. You don't have to be good at everything to obey God. 
You just have to be willing to obey God. Because if you're willing, he'll bring somebody that's good at this and good at that and good over here and good over there and bring them to your team, bring them to your side so you can do what God's called you to do. Some of you, God's giving you a vision to do kingdom business. I don't just mean, mean business to pay your rent. I mean business to fund the kingdom. And you say, yeah, God, I know how to cook, but I can't do that. God has somebody who can do that. God, I can sow, but I can't do that. God has somebody who can do that. Just say yes to the Lord. Say yes to God's plan. Yes to God's will. Yes to God's counsel. Yes to God's purpose. Yes, God, I agree with you. God, I will go. All right. Let me, let me go one last, one last thing. Last thing, God tests our obedience along the way. God tests our obedience along the way. Are you going to still stay submitted to my plan? Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy 8, because remember God sends Moses there to bring the children of Israel out of that land into a good land. Is that right? So now I'm going to pick up the story where Moses has the people out. And now they're all part of God's plan. Deuteronomy 8 verse 7, because what I just tell you, God tests our obedience along the way. Deuteronomy 8 verse 7. Verse 7, thank you, Lord. For the Lord your God, this is Moses talking, is bringing you into a what? A what land? A good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. This is God's plan. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Y'all got it? Drop down, please, to verse 14. No, verse, verse 12, verse 12, verse 12, verse 12. I got to read this. This is so good. Because I want to show you God's plan. Tell you, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. He says, lest when you have eaten and are full. That's God's plan. And have built beautiful houses. Tell your neighbor, that's God's plan. Tell them again, that's God's plan. And dwell in them. Verse 13. And when your herds and your flock multiply, that's your business. When your business multiplies, that's God's plan. And your silver and your gold are multiplied, that's God's plan. And all that you have is multiplied, that's God's plan. Verse 14, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who, watch this, watch how the plan operated, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verse 15, who led you through. So he brought you out. Here's how the plan. He brings you out, then he leads you through. That great and terrible wilderness 
Watch what it says. Notice what he led them through. The great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water. It seems to me God could have come up with a better plan than to take us through fiery serpents, scorpions, parched land in the wilderness. Couldn't God have done a better plan than that? But notice in the plan, watch this, watch this, watch this. I got to keep going. Who brought water. Remember, they're in a, in a thirsty land, parched land where there is no water. Who, but watch the plan. Who brought water out, uh, out for you out of the flinty rock. So he took them where there was no water, but he's going to give them water. Because he's going to give you miracles along the way. Verse 16, verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness. Remember, there's no Walmart, there's no Target, there's no fresh market, there's no nothing. No Culver's, there's nothing. No, no poor folks. But he said he fed you in the wilderness, in the wilderness, with manna, which your fathers did not know. Watch this, here it is, that he might humble you and... That he might what? Test you. Test you. Stop there. Test you. So he took them through this area, the wilderness, fiery serpents, scorpions, no water. And people said, that's a test. That wasn't a test. The test was, can you obey me? Because if we, we see where he just said, and fed you with manna. Remember the story where he fed them with manna. What was the test? He said, when I give you the manna, only take enough for one day. See, the test wasn't the hardship. The test was the obedience of my, when, you, when I provide for you. See, people will tell you that the scorpions was a test. That wasn't a test. That was nothing. The test was when he provided for them, could they trust him for today? And that he'd take care of them tomorrow. And what happened was when they would go and some of them got hard-hearted and disobedient. And when they would go and collect more than one day's worth of manna, the Bible says that manna would rot like worms. It would turn into bleh. Because God meant for them to learn to trust him every single day. That was a test. So God doesn't test you with nothing. He tests you with something. He doesn't test you by taking from you. He tests you by giving you what you need. By giving you what you want. And are you still going to trust him? And are you still going to obey me? Because if you'll be faithful in the little, then he'll make your rulers over much. If you'll obey him when he gives you just the, the hundred dollars or the thousand, you believe in God for a millionaire's dollars. But when he gives you the thousand, can he trust you to not skip out on him? Can he trust you to still worship? Can he trust you to still have a prayer life when he starts? Can he trust you with that? Say, Lord, you can trust me.
Everybody say they had manna. Yeah. That was a test. Yeah. Now, part of the test, too, was this. They left Egypt with livestock. Y'all missed it. They left, the Bible says they left, walked out with a mixed multitude and plenty of, lot, plenty of livestock. They had all kind of uh, bulls and lambs and sheep. They had, all, they had everything. But do you remember the word that coming out of Egypt, you were going to go to this mountain and worship me? Which meant the livestock was to be reserved for sacrifice. He gave them all of Egypt's stuff. But you're going to get out here in this wilderness and going to worship me on this mountain. So could you be obedient along the way and not break off a piece? You know, just God won't notice we kill this one cow. So can I, can I trust you? So God tests us along the way. And then if we prove ourselves to be faithful to God, in the test, he'll get his plans done in our lives. I'm out of time. Jump on your feet. And I want you to give God a praise like you know you just received a word from heaven today. just heard a word of release into your destiny. Some of you have been stirred and given a word from God about what to pull back from. Because you start to now distinguish between purpose and just activity. Just busyness. You can be involved in busyness and not be doing God's business. The devil would love nothing more than to have God's people encumbered about with much activity, doing things that are not the good part for your life. And like Mary did with Jesus, Mary chose the good part. And you have to choose that good part for your life. You have to choose God. All right. You remember when God spoke to Saul, the ninth chapter of Acts, on the road to Damascus. His plans were to go and grab some more of those Christians, snatch them out of church, snatch them out of their Bible studies, drag them off to court, to prison, to beat them and to kill him. That was his plan, but God disrupted his plans. And he had these two questions that I keep saying to you must be our questions to God. Lord, who are you? And what would you have me to do? Paul, we call him Paul. That's his Greek name, Paul. We call him Paul, and his, he was doing what he was doing out of his zeal. He was zealous about what he was doing. In his mind, he was going the right way. 
and was zealous about it. But when he discovered, wait a minute, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm working against God, not working with God. He yielded everything. The Bible says later on in Acts chapter 9, when he, the Bible says he, he went blind, three days blind, and he's now in the house of Ananias. And God tells Ananias to tell him what things he must suffer for my sake. Ananias is like, no, wait a minute, oh, oh this is that man. Nope, he's found purpose. I just gave him his purpose. So you got to tell him what things he must suffer. When you find your purpose, it changes you immediately. So the Bible says in Acts 9 that from then on, Paul went out. Right at that time, they still called him Saul. His Hebrew name was only dealing with Hebrews. He went out immediately preaching that Jesus was the Christ. Once he found purpose, it changed him immediately. Same zeal. Same zeal. The same zeal. Just going the other direction. So God doesn't mind you being zealous. He just wants to give purpose to your zeal. To give direction to your flight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for those today who have heard the word of God. I thank you for those who have made up in their minds that they were not going to be wayside ground today. That they will be good ground to receive the seed of the word in their hearts. God, we have a divine promise that when we receive the word on good ground, that we will see a harvest, an increase in our lives, 30, 60, and even 100 fold on the word of God. I pray, Father, that each person who's been not just a hearer, but a listener with a decision to be a doer of the word, that they will be blessed. I pray that God, each person will get a greater sense, a, a, not just even a sense, a knowing of purpose, a knowing of your plan, a knowing of your vision for our lives. I pray, Father, that these, your people, will step out with zeal and passion for the things of God. I pray, Father, for those who've simply been on a level of thinking about just personal things and not about your plan for the world around us, that, God, you give dreams and visions. You said, Father, in the word in the last days, that old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. God, you'd cause your servants and your handmaidens to prophesy. I pray, Father, that God, you'd help us all to see something bigger than our own selves. See your divine purpose and calling for our lives. That God, there are, there are communities that are tied to us, cities tied to us, regions tied to us, yea, even nations tied to us. So I pray that each person, like Jeremiah, hears from you. That God, before we were forming our mother's womb, you knew us. You sanctified us. You called us by name and ordained us in whatever capacity we're, we're to operate in to the whole world. And I pray, Father, that everyone today who's heard this word would get the hundredfold return. On it we pray. So be it. 
Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give God one more big hand of praise today.